0: Well, um, I, I want to just mention a, a couple things in need of prayer before uh, we open the Word this morning. Um, this past Thursday, Dick Schomburg um, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, it was one of those things I know Pastor Paul was here. Uh, Dick had been talking to he and I about uh, needing to, wanting to get together and sit down and plan his uh, memorial service and his celebration of life service and 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 he kept going and waiting and waiting and waiting and we we never did that and uh god took dick home this past thursday so this coming saturday morning at 10 a.m right here we will be having a uh, celebration of life service for dick 10 a.m right here and his daughter amy and son-in-law tim are here with us today So you would be praying for them, for the family, for that service this week uh, as we put that together. And then, as we mentioned, Hal Cross had some pretty serious back surgery this past Thursday also. He stayed uh, overnight, came home Friday. So continue to pray for he and Nancy. Larry Mackey, I see, is here. Larry spent a little unexpected time in the hospital, so it's great to to have you here, Larry. And it's great to be able to know that... um, uh, God is one who hears and answers our prayers. Um, I just want to say, too, today is Ace's last Sunday leading worship with us. Now, it's not his last Sunday here, folks, right? Because Ace and Sue's, we have taken them on. We are their sending church as they prepare to go to Peru and they're going to be going at full-time, starting this next week, raising support so they can get to Peru and serve God there. So you continue to pray for them. We're going to be seeing them around. Um, a lot of the month of July they won't be here because they'll be out in appointments and churches with individuals, and ABWE has a conference that they're going to need to be part of for more training and, and all of that. So you'll be praying for them, and uh, we are grateful. Asa, Suze, thank you. For your ministry here these last six months and doing that and uh, yes we are grateful for the abilities that uh, that God has given you Asa I I told him this last week we meet every Thursday morning and I told him this last week that man if I didn't know he if I wasn't convinced that he was so convinced that Peru is where they ought to be I'd be saying Asa you know you ought to hang around a little bit longer and keep leading worship for us on Sunday mornings. But I know what God's been doing in their hearts and and we understand that and are grateful. God makes no mistake and we're excited about the next chapter in their lives as they raise support and then for what God's going to do for us here as well. So, summer is here, folks. It came Thursday. A lot of stuff happened and happy summer, right? Can you believe it? I don't even feel like it's come yet. I keep feeling like it's late winter or something. I don't know. Now, it's it's warm enough now, but it's summer, so woo yeah. And uh, top 10 lists. You've heard of top 10 lists. They've been around for quite a while. They're used to evaluate all kinds of things in a fun, non-threatening way. Uh, keep that word non-threatening in mind. And um, and it, it's an opportunity to, to measure, evaluate things. And maybe the we could say the best songs the top 10 best songs of 2023 or maybe the top 10 best songs of all time or maybe the top 10 best cars or maybe here in northeastern pennsylvania the the top 10 pizzas of any pa right and, and and we could go on and on the top 10 best cell phone providers we'll stop there right You might want to have the top 10 favorite Bible characters as you put together a list. Uh, um, You know, it can be fun. It can be memorable. It can encourage debate. A a number of years ago, late night television comedians used to put top 10 lists as a significant part of their show. and, And it caused people to laugh. As a youth pastor out in the state of Illinois, many years ago, during our week of high school camp, Every night after dinner, we did a top 10 list of something dumb and crazy and something that only high school kids would laugh at. Well, this last uh, beginning of June, uh, Jane and I went on our first seniors trip with our seniors, right? Now, when I say seniors, you understand. I'm not talking about the last year of high school or college. Talking about people that are more mature in age, right? I have to be careful because I'm there now. Uh, We'll be out eating dinner somewhere and I'll say, Jane, look at those old folks. And she says, "Uh, they're probably younger than we are. And I'm like, oh, all right. So seniors, you get it. And uh, so we went to the Ark and the Creation Museum, and there was an aquarium along the way, and spent four days together, a lot of miles, a lot of hours on a bus, and three hotels, and, Josh, a lot of buffets, huh? Yeah, a lot of buffets. And so the whole trip, I kept thinking, there's things that are different about this trip with seniors than all my years as a youth pastor, and taking trips with high school students, It's not the same, in most ways. (laughs) However, I put together a top 10 list, Jane and I worked on it, and I had to get by far the youngest individual on that bus of seniors, Josh Schneider. So Josh, (laughs) come on up. And uh, we put together a top 10 list, because there are differences, no question about it. And so here's our list, the differences between seniors and high school students on a bus trip. All right, so here we go. We're gonna start, Josh, number 10.
1: Okay, I don't have a microphone. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, Yeah, okay, I figured, but I figured I'd take it. Do you
0: want one, Josh? Can you hear him good? All right, all right. I've
1: been told I'm loud. (laughs) (laughs) Number 10, both seniors and students wake up early in the morning. Students at 2 a.m. because they haven't gotten to bed yet and seniors at 6 a.m. waiting in line for breakfast.
0: Number nine, seniors can pack enough stuff for four days into one small suitcase. Students, no way.
1: Number eight, seniors can actually exit a bus in an orderly fashion. Students, not so much.
0: Seniors and students do not follow instructions well. Neither of them pays attention.
1: Number six, both seniors and students leave stuff on the bus. Seniors, because they forgot they brought it, and the students, because their mom packed it in their suitcase and they didn't know that they brought it.
0: (laughs) Number five. At the end of the day, when the bus unloads at the hotel, seniors immediately go to their own rooms. Students immediately visit everybody else's rooms.
1: (laughs) Number four. Seniors don't care what they do or if it's not cool. Students always have to be cool.
0: Number three, seniors have to eat at all-you-can-eat buffets, usually by 4.30 p.m. <laughs> students are good with eating McDonald's any time of the day.
1: Number two, if seniors don't feel well, no matter what the pain, another senior on the bus will have a remedy. They have the pills for every occasion. <laughs> students, students are just too young to feel pain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and number one, seniors and students both wear earpieces. <laughs> students, in order to hear their music, seniors, in order to hear. <laughs> Josh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All, right. All right. There you go. Probably never heard one of those before, like me. All right. Well, as we think about that this morning we're going to continue our study in 1st Peter living dif- differently in difficult days and we're going to look at a top 10 list. You say why do we do that? Because Peter put together a top 10 list in 1st Peter chapter 3 and verses 8 to 12. And so if you would open your bibles there, 1st Peter chapter 3 Verses 8 to 12, if you don't have a Bible and would like to follow along in one, there should be a hard copy of the Bible underneath the chair in front of you somewhere close at hand. In that Bible, page 851, it's there. And so as we look at this list that Peter put together, this top 10 list, it's not really a top 10 list, I don't think Peter knew anything about that, but I call it top 10 signs of holy living. Top 10 signs of holy living, and that's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 8 to 12. Now, so why top 10? Well, as we look at the first four verses of verse 8, the first four words, excuse me, of verse 8, finally, all of you. This is a summary statement. When he says, finally, all of you. He's saying to everybody in the churches that he's talking to, all of those believers, all of those people who know Jesus and follow Jesus, he's saying to all of you. Whereas we're going to look back a little bit to see what this section was all about because this is the conclusion to one section. It is not the conclusion to the whole letter of 1 Peter, right? Because we're just in chapter 3 and there are five chapters. But this section that Peter has been talking about This is where he's going to sum it all up to all of you who know and follow Jesus. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's how we're going to sum it up. And so go back to the beginning of this. Keep your place there and just look back a chapter to chapter 2 and verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. And there we read, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now he starts out talking to everybody, all of you, and this is how he ends in verse 8. So he says, verse 11, all of you, you who are foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires. If you remember, a number of weeks ago, Scott preached through this text. To abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And here he goes, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He's saying, okay, live your lives in such a way that people around you who do not know and follow Jesus will see the way you live, see your good deeds... And glorify God on the day he visits us, when he comes back again. And so he begins that way. And we've talked about all through the verses between here and now our closing section today in chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, how this is important. He goes on in verse 13, and he begins to break down some groups of that. Actually, he continues in verse 13 with everybody because he says... Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. That's critical. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He had already talked about verse 12 about doing good. Now he says again, it is God's will that by doing good, verse 18, slaves, he's talking about we talked in that culture would have been masters and slaves, not the kind of 1,800 civil war slavery that we're talking about. That's not at all the picture here. But here we're talking more like employees and employers. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. And then last week we went to chapter 3 in the first seven verses. Verse 1, wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands. Verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Live with them according to knowledge. And now, in summary, here's how all of you need to live. And he gets to verse 8, and he says, Finally, all of you. Now, we're going to walk through this top ten list. It's really not in a top ten order. It's just the way that Peter worded it. But there are ten signs of holy living. And that's really what Peter is talking about. That's why he's going back to verses 11 and 12, where we just started today, where he says, "Abstain from sinful desires, and live got such good lives among those who don't know Jesus that they will see your good deeds and give God the glory." So here we are, verse eight, finally, all of you. And here comes the first sign of holy living. And he says, verse eight, "Be like-minded. Be like-minded. Now, these lists, these signs of holy living aren't difficult to understand. Sometimes there's a word in the Bible that is, uh, maybe it was more culturally relative to the people at the time that it was written. These words all mean to us today what they mean to us today. These aren't difficult things. It's not hard to understand. Like-minded. We're talking unity. Randy prayed for unity for our search team. He prayed for unity as we look for the next lead pastor. As I step back into a part-time position and we look for the next lead guy. We want unity for the search team as they begin that process. And we also want unity for us as a church as we look For who that individual would be. Cooperation in the midst of differences. You know, it's interesting. Randy, that's how you prayed. I thought he was praying my first point here. Right? Unity amongst those who have differing opinions or perspectives on things. Because the thing that is most central to the key key of our unity is the word of God. What God has to tell us about life. And there it is. We need to be focused on that. Unif- unity is not that, it means my opinion is not that important. When we're part of a group and we want unity, we say, you know, I have an opinion, but it's not the most important thing because we're in this together. It's a word for harmony. I'm not a musician. But you know what harmony is when you hear it, right? Everybody's singing the same words. They're singing the same tune. But if I get this right, any musicians, Asa, you can correct me. It's a different key. It's a different level, either higher or lower. It, it harmonizes and it makes the one voice on the same note sound beautiful. Harmony. Our working together, though we are doing different things or thinking differently, be like Secondly, he says, be sympathetic. Feel what they feel. When we're ministering, when we're involved with one another, we feel what each one feels. It's critical that we understand as we feel what others feel, when people are hurting, when people are struggling, when people are going through tough times and, and we're called alongside to encourage them, to help them, we want to feel what they feel. Why? So as to respond with sensitivity. Sometimes if we don't understand what's going on, we don't feel that same thing. It's like, I, I, can't, I can't be sensitive to that. I can't help them. I can't respond to them. It's really what Paul says about bearing each other's burdens. Helping each other carry the heavy load of loss. That can be a really hard thing to bear up under, or a pain, or whatever that may be. It's an attitude that we need to have, but it's an attitude that must show itself in action. We just don't feel with somebody. It causes us to be sensitive to their needs and respond. That's sympathy. Sympathy doesn't just say, take two aspirins, I'll call you in the morning. It says, I'm concerned about you. How can I help? I understand. I want to know how you're feeling. Let me help you. Thirdly, verse 8, love one another. That is the brotherly love. That is the Philadelphia love. We talked about back in chapter 1 when Peter wrote already, back in verses 22 and 23, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. That's the same word, loving each other, brotherly love. That's critical. What does that mean? Well, it means we treat one another like family. Now, I realize some of you here may be saying, "Mm, Not my family. But that's not the normal way, right? That's not the way God intended it. Family, we love them. We allow family to live in such a way that we don't don't have to just tolerate because we know they're family, we're related, We, we love them because they're that way. And that's what Peter is saying, wanting and doing what is best for our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Jesus said, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. By this will all people know that you are followers of Jesus, that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, we can't talk about that enough. That that is clearly what we understand what that means. The issue with all of these is not knowing what it is, it's doing it, right? And that's critical. Number four, sign number four, you want to live holy lives? Be compassionate. What does that mean? How's that different than be sympathetic? Well, compassion here really means to be tender hearted, it means to be kind, it's a warmth of feeling and emotion. The idea is that in the depths of our soul, we have a a generous desire to work with people, to care for people, to be kind to people. We, in this day and age, folks, I don't have to tell you that. We see it all around us. It's so easy to become hard-hearted. It's so easy to become callous, right? I was talking with John and Jackie about playing the guitar. I used to play the guitar. When you play the guitar a while, you get calluses on your the tips of your fingers, and and, because pushing the strings down, the frets into the, and you get calluses. But until you get those calluses, man, it gets sore sometimes. Sometimes it almost breaks the skin, and it hurts. And then you, but we get calloused and hard. What happens? You don't feel anything. And I don't have to tell you but that we have people all over our culture today that don't feel anything for one another. There's not a tender heartedness. One of the very first verses that we ever taught our kids was found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. That's the word here. Tender hearted. Compassionate forgiving one another just like God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. That's compassion, tenderhearted kindness. Number five, be humble. That's a hard one, right? Because that's the exact opposite of pride. Pride says, I'm the most important thing. What I think matters more than anything you could possibly think. And so when we talk humility... We're always talking thinking others first. That's what Peter said, or that's what Paul said about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, about being like-minded with Jesus Christ. And as he says, it's humble thinking. It's we many times think humility is thinking poorly of ourselves. Uh, I'm I'm not really much. I'm I'm not no, I'm not any good. I'm not. You've you've ever seen false humility? No, that's not humility, thinking poorly of yourself. Humility is thinking properly about others. It's thinking highly of others, putting their needs ahead of yours. It's a willingness to admit you're wrong. I'm wrong. It may not be what I thought it would be, but this is what I'm thinking now, but I could be wrong. It's concern, it, Jay Adams says this, he was a, a, a counselor, says it means that there is more concern on your part to prove others right than there is to prove yourself right. I like that. More concerned about proving others right than you are about proving yourself right. Number six, we change verses down to verse nine, and Peter goes on. And he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. What's he talking about? Listen, folks, there's nothing different that the Greek, which is the original language that this was written in, okay? We don't need to even, because there's nothing that that would help you to understand. Because do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Every one of us here knows exactly what that means. Huh? Because it's so easy to not do that It's so easy to repay evil with evil It's so easy to reply with an insult Because you were insulted Peter says don't do that You want to be holy? You want to live a holy life? You don't get even You don't retaliate You don't seek revenge You don't respond in kind That guy on the road, this is where road rage comes in. This is big one right here. That's what number six is all about. That's what happens. Somebody drives crazy. You don't like how they drive. You're going to get even, right? You're going to repay evil with evil. They cut you off. You're going to cut them off, right? That's what Peter's saying. Don't do that. You see, there's a little bit of change that happens here in verse 9. Verse 8, those are all uh, signs of living holy lives that ought to be practiced. Really, more often than not, those five would be practiced with other who know Jesus, with other followers of Jesus, with others who know Jesus and love him. But when we get into chapter or verse 9... Here of chapter 3. He says do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. What's going on? Remember. The believers that Peter was writing to were facing suffering. They were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And when Peter says that. He has that in mind first doesn't mean that believers never treat believers wrongly it doesn't mean that we never treat one another with evil it doesn't mean that we never insult one another as brothers and sisters in Christ it shouldn't be but certainly our response ought not to be that but but first and foremost I think Peter is saying listen even as you suffer even as you are treated with evil even as you are insulted because of your faith in Christ don't respond in kind And if you look back just to chapter 2, we have exactly the reason why. Because chapter 2 and verse 23, Peter says this, When they hurled their insults at him, who's him? Well, when you go up a couple of verses, you find it's Jesus Christ. Peter is talking about Jesus' death on the cross. He died for us. He hung there totally innocent, No sin found in him. And when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. No retaliation, no revenge, no insult, no repayment. No responding in kind. Folks, this is where forgiveness enters the picture. And this is so critical. That we're willing to forgive those who treat us wrongly. Number seven, repay evil with blessing. That's what Peter says. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But number seven, on the contrary, repay evil with. With blessing. You see, it's not enough not just to not respond in kind. It's not enough to just not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. What we need to do is repay with evil with blessing. We need to repay insult with blessing. You may be saying, Are you kidding me? Really? That's what I'm expected to do as a brother and sister who know Jesus Christ? Yes. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. We just read that. Read back through the end of chapter 2, 1 Peter, and see how Jesus responded. Jesus wasn't even close to being guilty. There was no sin found in him, and yet he died on the cross for. Verse 24, 1 Peter 2 He himself bore our sins in his body On the cross So that we might die to sins And live for righteousness By his wounds You have been healed Jesus stayed on that cross He repaid evil Insult with blessing He died for us Boy, it doesn't get any better than that, huh? That's our responsibility. You know the word blessing there means? Eulogize. You know what a eulogy is, right? We say nice things about somebody after they have died. That's what it means to eulogize somebody. Peter says... You say nice things about somebody. You do nice things for people after they've treated you with evil, after they've insulted. You ask God to bring a blessing upon their life. Wow. You see what I mean? There's no question. You you know what that means, right? That's not the hard thing. The hard thing is saying, I'm going to do that. Number eight. Well, I need to stop because as we look, he goes on, he says, On the contrary, we pay evil with blessing because to this you were called. To this you were called. What's Peter saying? We were called as those who know and love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ who confessed our sins and said, God, I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for me to pay for my sin, and he provided forgiveness, and I believe Jesus did that for me. I admit my sin and realize that only by the grace of God and his death on the cross can my sin be forgiven, and can I be made right with you. And, he, and when we do that, he says, you are then called... To put God on display in your life. Go back to chapter 2 verse 10 and 11. Where we started. Or verse 11 and 12. That's what Peter said there. Live such good lives that people see Jesus in you. That's what he's saying here. Put God on display in your life by the way you live. By not repaying evil with evil or insult with insult. But repaying evil with blessing. Then he goes on down to verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days. Whoever would love life and see good days. Do you love life today as one who knows and follows Jesus? Do you love life? Are you enjoying life? Are you thrilled? The psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Is that our perspective when we get up in the morning? That's what Peter is saying. Do you love life and desire to see good days? Do you desire to enjoy and experience the abundant life, all that God has provided for us? Or are you an Eeyore Christian? You know who Eeyore is, right? If you don't remember and you have kids or grandkids, Winnie the Pooh, right? I, me. Yeah, what's that? Always me. Oh, all right. That's what he always said. Oh, woe is me, yeah. Well, here, I looked up Eeyore quotes. How about this one? Don't worry about me. Go and enjoy yourself. I'll stay here and be miserable really? Don't worry about me. Go and enjoy yourself. Uh, I'll stay here and be miserable. You can just hear him saying that, right? Do you know somebody who claims to know Jesus Christ who lives like that? I'm not talking, we've talked about grumpy Christians. That's part of it. But this is just unhappy, sad, down, Eeyore Christians. Peter says, hey, if you would love life and see good days, if you would desire to enjoy and experience the abundant life, the salvation, the forgiveness of sin that God has provided for us, if you would know this is the day the Lord has made, we need to rejoice and be glad. He goes on and he says then in verse 10, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. You see, sometimes we live life like Eeyore because we put ourselves in a hole. By the way we act, by the way we live, maybe here, by the way we talk, because verse 10, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Listen, what we can so quick, what we say can so quickly destroy who we are and what we do, right? It's like what we talked about last week with a wife who knows Jesus and a husband who doesn't. And and Peter said, wives, live your lives. Submit yourselves to your husband so that you may win him over without saying anything. What does he mean? Because they see you live out what you believe. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Because if we try to live a certain way and... People hear us talking in an evil way, in a deceptive way, in a dishonest way. They're going to have a hard time believing what we say. Read James chapter 3 in the first 12 verses. You'll see what James says about the tongue. The tongue, he says, no man can tame. Only by the grace of God can we do that. Verse 11 then, he goes on. They must turn. This is also whoever would love life and see good days. Verse 11, they must turn from evil and do good. Not just keep your hands off of evil. Back to verse 11 of chapter 2. When we read there, when Peter says, Abstain from sinful desires. Stay away from those things that would lead you to disobey God, that would lead you into sin. Turn from evil and do good. But it's not just enough to keep your hands off of sin and evil. It's not just enough not to look at it. Peter's saying, run away from it. That's the turn away. Run! Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, flee those things that as a young person would Catch you up and cause you to fall into sin. Get as far away as we possibly can. Run! And then run towards the good. Do good. That's what verse 12 of chapter 2. Do You see why we keep going back to verses 11 and 12? Because that's where Peter began this section. And as he's ending it here, he goes back and in verse 12, live such good lives that people see Jesus in you. It's not enough just to turn from evil. We must also turn to good. If you want to see what Paul really thought about that, and I'm not talking Peter here, Paul in First Thessalonians chapter 1, write it down and look at the first 10 verses, that whole first chapter. Peter, or Paul says how, he says, we're proud of you Thessalonian believers, the church there. He says, because you turn to God from idols or you turn from idols to God to serve the living and true God. You didn't just turn from idols. You turned from idols to serve God. There has to be the turning from and the turning to doing good. And then number 10. And if this is a real top 10 list, we'd have a drum roll, right? (laughs) Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. Some spend their time looking for and stirring up trouble. That's all they do. Even those who know Jesus. They're joy robbers. They're peace killers. They're Eeyore Christians. And Peter says, seek peace. Don't just look for it. Pursue it. That's a hunting term. I know we have hunters here. We have deer hunters and some turkey hunters. We have fishermen. You go after when you're hunting, you're pursuing, you're tracking down your prey till you find it, and sometimes it takes hours, and you track and follow. If it's snow out, it's great because you can see the footprints and follow, but you pursue. You just don't half-heartedly look For a deer when you're hunting, I, for the first time this last deer season, went with a friend to hunt. I'm telling you. Learned it not as easy as everybody seemed to make it because you got to pursue the prey. Seek peace and pursue it. God Himself said, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Matthew chapter five and verse nine. If you want to write down these two scriptures, Matthew five nine, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God." And then He says in Romans twelve eighteen, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." If it's As much as it depends on you, if it's at all possible, if you can do anything about it, you live at peace with everyone. Don't blame the other person. It's our responsibility. Everything we can do, we must do. Pursue peace. Live at peace with all men. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I just have to say this. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's not talking about those who know Jesus who do evil. Say, how do you know that? Well, because verses 10 to 12 here in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, going back to the Old Testament. And Psalm 34 verses 15 and 16 ends like this, and I have it here for you. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And that's where Peter stops. But when we go to the rest of verse 16, we read this. To blot out their name from the earth. Who? Those who do evil. This isn't those who know Jesus who choose to sin every once in a while. No. This is talking about those who have made evil a way of life. Those who don't know Jesus. And He, God, we're told, the Lord will blot out their name from the earth. So what now? What now? What do we do? And I only throw that in there because sometimes we think that that's Okay, it it gives us a way out. It gives us an excuse. There are believers who live that way. And well, okay, the Lord, we're told there in, in verse 12, well, he won't be attentive to their prayer. But it's not that. Those are people who don't know Jesus. And that's why God won't hear their prayer. The context of these verses is living in difficult days. It's suffering that makes these verses, when we hear these verses, at first, and th- that, okay, that can be hard, but Peter is saying that this is in the midst of suffering. Live like this when people hate you, when people are persecuting you, when people are speaking evil of you, when they are treating you with evil, when they are insulting you. Live like this. And those first five verses, when when Peter gives us those first signs, that is that we need to be encouraging one another as believers to stand strong, to live for God, to be like-minded, to be tender-hearted and compassionate, to love one another, to be sympathetic, to be humble. We need to encourage each other to do that. Folks, that's pretty much not what we have to do today because we don't know the suffering that the church knew then in the first century. Now, there are churches around the world that do, but what about you and I today? Because these signs are intended to help God's people live together under stress, under persecution, in a way that allows us to influence those around us who don't know Jesus. When we encourage one another, when we provoke one another to love and good works, the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 says that. We need to help one another. But, but what about us today? We're not facing that kind of persecution and treatment. We may. These, verse, these principles for holy living are timeless. And, and today, when it's not as hard, we need to help one another. The church has community. As community, we are a, a, a group of believers Community is absolutely essential for survival, and usually we don't understand or know that. If persecution broke out this week, I guarantee you there'd be more people in this church, in this auditorium next Sunday. You see, the influence of the church is fading in our culture. Why? Because the church is fading. The way we're supposed to treat one another isn't what always Peter talks about here in his top 10 list. You see, when we say we need each other, most of us really inside think, I'm pretty good on my own. I don't really need the church. And yet God says no. We need one another. Absolutely need one another. And that's what Peter's talking about. How we stand together and support one another and encourage one another in these signs of holy living. Provoke each other to live out these truths. And when we're insulted and treated with evil, we help each other stand against and practice these steps of holy living. So as we wrap it up this morning, what if? What if we lived as if we believed? What if we lived as if we believed that the church as community was absolutely essential to survive in our culture? What if we really believed that if we didn't have each other as the church, one another, that we just couldn't make it? Because that's really the situation that the church in the first century that Peter's writing to, that was really what they were facing. They needed each other to survive. We may not realize it today, but to be the church, to have the influence in this culture that God says we ought to have, we need one another. We need the church as community, not just as a gathered group for one hour on a Sunday morning why we have community groups secondly what if you identified your top three signs for holy living and made them a reality in your life what would be of those top ten signs of holy living what would be the top three for you that you're committed to work on that will make a difference in your life how would your life change the church's influence in our community. Not for ourselves, not so the people look at me, myself, and I, but they look at us as God's church and say, wow, something's different about those people. They see our good deeds and have to point to God. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, God, help us to live holy lives. And these top ten signs that need to be in our lives, are, they're not hard to understand. They're really very straightforward and clear, but the difficulty is in doing them. Oh, God, help us, Father to pick one or two or three of them and that we can work on and live such good lives that people see the difference and point to Jesus for it's in his name I pray. Amen.